Hey, Zed, real quick, before we get started, I wanted to make sure that you were all aware of my bi-monthly book recommendation email. It's just a quick email that I send out every other month that has five to seven, sometimes eight books that I've recently read and highly recommend. It's a pretty good list of books, and there's no hidden sales pitches there. There's no weird angle. There's no tricky business here. I'm not going to hit you up for money. It's simply books that I've read and that I recommend. And the reason I do it is because I know that there's a whole lot of people that seem to look forward to it, and it forces me to read more books. So nothing like accountability to make me get stuff done. So I get to read more books, and you get good recommendations. So if you want to sign up, go to mountainandprairie.com slash reading, and you can get on the list. I'm going to be sending out the latest one on December 31st. So if you sign up before then, you'll get it. If you sign up after, I'll have an automatic email that goes out that will still give you links to all my past recommendations. So check it out. Hey, this is Ed Robertson, and this is the Mountain and Prairie Podcast, where I introduce you to some of the innovative individuals who are shaping the future of the American West. I meet most of these people through my work in land conservation or through my hobbies and interests that revolve around spending time up high in the mountains. My guests include ranchers, writers, entrepreneurs, conservationists, athletes, artists, adventurers, pretty much anyone who's doing important work, has an interesting story, and loves the American West. My guest today is Allison Ryan. Allison is a West Texas native and co-founder of Explore Ranches, a company that connects its customers with spectacular private ranches throughout Texas and Colorado. Some have described it as an Airbnb for ranches. For those seeking a truly unique outdoor experience, Explore Ranches offers access to private land that has rarely, if ever, been visited by the public. And for the ranch owner, Explore Ranches creates an additional revenue stream that will support the cost of land ownership, encourage conservation, and help prevent the possibility of subdividing large ranches due to financial strain. Given the lack of private land in Texas and the financial realities of owning large ranches, Explore Ranches offers a welcome solution for both landowners and adventure-loving non-landowners. Allison grew up in El Paso, Texas, in a conservation-minded family that valued time in the outdoors and understood the importance of land stewardship. Between her childhood experiences at summer camp in West Texas, time spent on her family's ranch, and a love of fitness and wellness, Allison has a deep understanding of the many benefits of recreating in open spaces. But Allison also understands the financial commitments of land ownership, and she knows firsthand the need for identifying new revenue streams in order to make ranch ownership financially viable. In fact, her family's ranch, known as the Withers, is available on Explore Ranches, and it serves as an excellent case study that demonstrates the need that Explore Ranches is fulfilling for landowners. If you listen to my recent interview with Allison's fellow co-founder, Jay Clayburg, you may remember that we briefly discussed Explore Ranches. But in this conversation with Allison, we dug into the nitty-gritty details of the business, how the idea came about, descriptions of some of the available properties, and the challenges and opportunities arising from Texas's small amount of private land. We talk about how Explore Ranches can be a very useful tool for landowners and why her family's ranch was a prime candidate to partner with Explore Ranches. We talked about her childhood in West Texas, conservation lessons learned from her parents and grandparents, and some of her formative experiences in the outdoors. 
Allison also discussed her other career in the fitness world, and I veer the conversation completely off track by asking way too many questions about diet, exercise, and fasting. But if you like any of my other interviews with professional athletes, you'll probably enjoy that part as much as I did. And as usual, we discuss favorite books, films, and our most powerful outdoor experience. Take a moment to visit Explore Ranches. There are links to everything in the episode notes. And now, enjoy this fun conversation with Allison Ryan. When you meet somebody for the first time and they ask you that question, what do you do? How do you answer that? Um, That was an interesting question because for the last nine years, I've said I was a trainer, a personal trainer. And the other day, I was at the car wash and uh, started talking to this man. And he asked me that question. And I said, oh, I have a new company um, that books ranch getaways. And it was kind of odd to hear myself say that because I hadn't said it to anyone before. Um, so I guess that's that's what I, I do both things right now. And then did you say, leave me alone, you creep, I'm trying to wash my car? <laughs> no, he was really excited to tell me that he was going to San Antonio to see Elton John. So I had to be nice. Okay, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> Well, well, I had, um, as, as people who've listened to this podcast a lot know, I had one of your business partners, Jay Clayberg, on uh, last week, and he gave a, a little bit of a teaser about the business, but I was hoping that you and I could really dive into the, dive into it deeply because it's such a, such a great idea. So could you just kind of give us an overview of the business and how it works, and then we'll, we'll dig down from there? Yes. So Explore Ranches is a brand new web platform uh, dedicated to ranch getaways. So you can get online now and uh, we have currently have seven, uh, seven properties in Texas and one property in Colorado. And you can book a stay at an amazing ranch. And most of the ranches actually are uh, full experiences and when I say that, I mean you have a, a chef or a cook and a guide. Um, so it's an all-inclusive vacation, really. And then we have a couple of properties that are uh, more Airbnb style, I guess you would say. So you get to – it's a self-guided trip. You have access to the ranch and to the accommodations. And you kind of get to pretend like it's yours for the, for the weekend, or the duration of your stay. So I want to talk about the details of the business, but I also I'm always interested in how people come up with these business ideas. Um, and yeah. this one, it makes perfect sense. And, you know, my career has been involved in ranches for over 10 years now, but I, I have never seen anybody who has come up with an idea like this, but it, it makes perfect sense. And it makes even better sense in Texas um, because of the, the lack of public land there. But can you just right. talk about how, how the idea come to be? How'd you get involved? Well, so I have to give credit to Jay because it was his idea. Um, and he had gone to uh, Patagonia on a Knowles trip with the uh, UT Business School as an alum. And when he, and he was, of course, you know, without cell phone service and out in the middle of nowhere um, and came home, I think, re-energized. Mm-hmm. And really wanting to 
find a way to give that same experience to people, uh, but find a way to do it on private lands in Texas. Yep. And he and I started talking about it because he knew that I was looking as a landowner for some way to generate income on my family's property. Uh, I had started a wellness retreat out there and, you know, I didn't know if that was something I wanted to continue to do or expand upon that idea um, or what, but I, I knew as the next generation of landowner, I was going to need to find a way to, to generate revenue there because we don't um, have hunting or grazing leases mm-hmm. um, on our property. So, yeah, so he and I started talking about it. He asked me if having people, uh, non-consumptive recreators, so, you know, no hunting, um, if that was something I would be interested in. And I said, definitely. So we plan, planned this trip. He brought a couple of his friends out and my family and I were out there for the weekend and Jess came too because he wanted the three of us to just kind of brainstorm, brainstorm the idea. And, uh, we, his, he and his friends showed up, we fed them dinner and then they took off on a hike, an overnight hike to, uh, the tall rock shelter, which is on the nature conservancy preserve next to us. Okay. Spent the night out there and then hiked back the next day. And these were two guys who, um, had also been at the UT business school and just, you just kind of wanted to feel out the idea and get their thoughts and. Um, and we got back and he realized because he was starting with this, like he was going to be an outfitter and take people out into the wilderness and make them realize how much they needed to be in nature and conserve nature and, uh, got back and realized, well, this wasn't going to help him spend any more time with his family because he was going to be gone all the time, (laughs) actually guiding trips. So it, over the next several months morphed into this. Uh, web platform idea and uh, not being an actual outfitter but finding other people who would be willing to share their properties and host people themselves Um, and he asked me if I would participate as a landowner and I said absolutely so I was his first landowner and I started sitting in on the development meetings with um, with the web developer just so that the landowner perspective was always being considered. Yep. And uh, then he left to go film the river and the wall. And when he got back, he uh, asked Jess and I if we would be his partners. So very cool. That's that's the long story. No, that's that's a great story. And for people who haven't listened to the Jay episode, first of all, go listen to it. And then second of all, Jess is Jess Womack who is a, a mutual friend of, of ours and I went to high school with him and he's hilarious. Um, <laughs> so I, I guess for people who aren't all that familiar with Texas, because um, a lot of the a lot of the focus of this podcast, I, I do talk with a, a good number of Texas people, but I'd say maybe 70 percent is Rocky Mountains. And in the Rocky okay. Mountains, there's just this ridiculous amount of public land. Not right. so in Texas. Can you talk a little bit about the setup there as far as land ownership in Texas and and kind of why this business you've come up with is, is needed down there? 
Well, so uh, 95% of Texas is privately held. And of that last 5%, only I think 2.5% of it is actually accessible to the public. Um, So it's hard to find a place to get outdoors. We, the three of us live in Austin and we're lucky because we have a great park system um, <clears throat> and some state parks in the area. But for other people in urban areas, it's difficult to find a place to go if being out in nature is something that you're interested in. And I've had um, friends and one of my best friends was actually trying to find a way to do some sort of concierge uh, travel business in West Texas because anyone who goes out there, you know, you spend a lot of time driving between like Fort Davis, Alpine, Marathon, Marfa, and there are so many beautiful places that you want to stop and maybe go hiking or, you know, climb to the top of a mountain and you can't because everything is behind a locked gate. Mm -hmm. So you know, Jay had this brilliant idea. Let's see if we can get landowners to unlock their gates and let people experience wild places. Yeah, that's great. And, and just for some reference, you know, like in, in Colorado, for example, that generally the way it works is the, the valley floors are private land and then the mountains are, are public land. Mm-hmm. And because the, the valley floors can be put into agriculture one way or the other, right. but and so when you're driving through Colorado, all the prettiest scenery, you know, that you can see, you can generally access it if you want. Whereas in Texas, it's not just the open pastures and the, you know, the wide open flat spaces like mountain ranges there are private. There, yeah. And there's there's no way to get, I mean, these huge expanses of land. I had a guy on the podcast, Dan Flores, who's an author, and he wrote an article one time about how he and some of his buddies wanted to access this canyon, this beautiful, beautiful canyon somewhere in Texas but it was on private land, but they did like a illegal backpacking trip <laughs> and backpacked in there for like three or four days and, and, you oh know, explored God. this beautiful Canyon that was completely against the law for them to do it. Yeah. And, um, especially Someone in Texas. Them. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. I mean, it's, that's not, it's not just like a parking ticket. That's your life. If somebody had, yeah. had caught them, but it's just, it's crazy to think about these beautiful mountain ranges and canyons and rivers all being private land just because that's so different from from what we have in the Rockies. Yes. Um, well, can you give maybe – well, maybe we'll talk about your your family's ranch just as an example of the, the type types of properties that you have here. Um, can you just give kind of an overview of where it is, how big it is, the landscape, all that kind of thing? Yes. So um, the Withers is about 15 miles – south of Kent, Texas, off of I-10. Okay. So you drive down uh, south on 118, Highway 118, and we are 10 miles north of McDonald Observatory. Uh, We have to cross um, the Caldwell Ranch to get to our place in the canyon, Mm -hmm. which takes a little over an hour on what my dad refers to as primitive roads. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, four-wheel drive required, and uh, and then we are in Madera Canyon. Uh, so the north end of Madera Canyon opens up into Balmeray. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, I think all the way down at the south end, you get about to Mount Livermore. And I'll, I'll have links to everything on the website, but there's awesome photos and videos of your, your family's ranch um, that I can link to so people can get an idea of how beautiful it is. Because, I mean, even though I'm, I'm in this world and I think about this stuff a lot, I generally just don't think of landscapes like that as being in Texas. Yeah. It is. Um, I feel extraordinarily blessed um, because it is not a landscape that most people associate with Texas. And I still, um, my breath kind of catches when I make that last turn and the canyon comes into view uh, because it's quite spectacular. <laughs> and I'm sure I'm partial to it, but it's uh, it's quite a view. Every time I take people out there, they're always so surprised by the fact that, that they're in Texas. And so did your parents buy that ranch or, or did their parents buy it? How did, how did it come into your family's possession? Um, my dad, uh, actually got the first part of it as a finder's fee, um, for helping the Prude family. I don't know if you're, how familiar you are with West Texas, but not all that familiar. Okay. So the, uh, Prude family, um, we're ranchers in West Texas and they have what, what is like a famous West Texas camp, uh, Prude Ranch. Okay. Where my, my grandmother went to camp and my dad and my brother and my sister and I all went to camp there. And now Jay's daughter, actually, uh, she went to camp there for the first time last summer. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, um, so he helped them find a buyer, for another ranch and uh, received the first part of the withers as a finder's fee. Oh, cool. Yeah. And, uh, and then he and my mom were able to add to that. And then, um, then we, my stepmom, we all added to, to it again when I was in college. So, <clears throat> so it was kind of a little bit of a process. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, I'm a second generation landowner. And so is your dad, is he in the real estate business or was that just kind of a side deal he did for them? No. Yeah, it was a side deal. He worked, has, uh, he's an attorney okay. and, uh, he worked for, he went to, after he went to camp at Prude Ranch, then he worked for the Prudes. He went to school at Sol Ross and Alpine and, uh, yeah, so he was just close friends with them. And, uh, when he when they were looking to, to sell, they found, uh, they asked him if he could, they, if he could help them find a buyer. That's really cool. Getting land as basically a commission instead of, I mean, that's a a lasting gift or a lasting investment. That's, that's really cool. Yes. Well, actually it was my grandfather's idea. My dad asked him what he should ask for as a finder's fee because he didn't know. And my grandfather told him take it in land you've always wanted land out there take it in land so that's very what he cool did. so it sounds like your grandfather and your father and now you, you you all have all you know you've been closely connected to the land in one way or another out there i mean has as kind of land stewardship or, or conservation or even just just a respect for the land been a part of your family because it sounds like sounds like it yes um yes it's my dad got involved with the Nature Conservancy in 1992. Okay, but um, but yeah, it's hard, and you know he's had the withers, and 
we've had the withers since before I was born. So when you grow up going to a place like that and spending time in nature and in natural surroundings, I think it's just kind of something that you learn just by being around it. If that makes any sense at all. It makes perfect sense to me. It's not ever something that I feel like we talked about. You know, it was always like you respect nature because nature can be dangerous. Yep. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it wasn't conservation wasn't like, a, you know, a topic at the dinner table. It was just kind of something you learn from the way your parents behave and the way you watch them treat the natural world. So between that camp and then having having the family ranch, are there when you look back on on your your youth, I guess, and just kind of building the foundation for who you are today, are there any certain experiences you had in the outdoors or related to land that that maybe laid the groundwork for kind of what you're doing today? Um, definitely all of it. Um, between spending time at the Withers and going to camp at Prude Ranch. And my, uh, with my mom and my stepdad, we spent a lot of time in Taos, New Mexico skiing. Ooh, I love Taos. Yes, my favorite place. It's where we learned to ski, and then they ended up buying a house there um, when we were kids. So we got to spend a lot of time there. <clears throat> and I always said, you put me on a horse or on a pair of skis, and I'm really happy. <laughs> I, think, I think I like being on the top of mountains. <laughs> so, that's, that's awesome. Me too. Yeah, there's, there really isn't a better place to be. The, the view is pretty great from up there. So can you – all right, we've talked about your family ranch. Can you maybe give an example of another another property that you guys have that you're pretty proud of? Absolutely. Um, so I'll talk about the Hudsmith River Ranch. Okay. Only because I'm excited about all the properties, but uh, I had never been to the Devil's River before. And we went to shoot it – like the week before the website launched or two weeks before the website launched. And I had been so excited to go because all I had ever heard was how pristine the devils is and beautiful. And, um, you know, and I run around town Lake, which is part of the Colorado river every day. And it's, you know, I love it because I like being outside, but it's not what I would call a pristine river. Sure. (laughs) And, uh, so we got there, and I was just in awe the entire time. It's uh, unbelievably clear. Wow. And, uh, I mean, it is just stunning. And this stretch of the Devils, I believe, is six miles that the Strunk family has. And they've had the ranch since 1905. And Alice, the owner, talks about, you know, just how important it's been that the heritage ranchers have really respected each other and taken such good care of their land and and just been really good land stewards in, you know, in order to keep that river as pristine as it is. And it is the benchmark for the health of all the other rivers in Texas. Wow. Yeah. So, yes, so the Devils is amazing, and everyone who has the opportunity should go and visit it and get involved if you care about rivers um, in order to protect it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the stay at the at the Hudspeth River Ranch is 
all inclusive. They will cook for you. They will guide you. You have the opportunity to kayak down the river, to swim in some of their beautiful swimming holes. Um, you can go mountain biking. You can hike. Uh, they have some archaeological uh, pictographs and things on the ranch. So there's tons to do there. But I say spend all the time you can on the river. <clears throat> there's actually during October, all the monarchs come through. Oh, cool. Yes, they said the trees are just covered in monarchs during that time. So I want to go back in October and see that. When you guys started approaching landowners, I mean, in my experience dealing with landowners, and especially very wealthy landowners, um, one of the common themes that I've found is that even here in the West, in Colorado, they do not, you know, they want privacy and they don't want people coming on their properties. Um, yeah. And that even from like a conservation easement standpoint, a lot of, a, a lot of some these very, very ultra wealthy people, they, they will have a problem with, or they have some concern with the conservation easement monitors coming once a year. I mean, they're just very, very yeah. private people. And yeah. so when you started approaching landowners to discuss this idea, what was the reaction from them? I don't know if this would surprise most people, but most of them were really open to the idea. Over the next 20 years, there's going to be a large generational transfer of land. And a lot of these younger landowners are not ranchers. Mm -hmm. um, and typically, you know, landowners have made money either through hunting or grazing leases. And so if, if the next generation isn't interested in ranching and a lot of people have mixed emotions about hunters, um, just because, you know, I think there are probably some hunters that have bad reputations or some people just don't want to deal with hunting. Uh, so they're looking for other options, another revenue stream yep. and, and parents that, the generation now is looking to help their kids protect, protect their land. Mm -hmm. um, they want to ensure that their kids are going to have a way to pay for it. And so, yeah. So most of the landowners we spoke to were, were really welcoming to this idea. They thought, you know, this was definitely an opportunity that could, could help their families. So yeah, so we were excited. We were excited because we've we've had really positive responses from almost everyone we've spoken with. Yeah, that's that's one of the things when Jay was initially telling me about this idea that I thought was so cool mm -hmm. about it because you know from the buyer's standpoint or from the the person who wants to go on vacation, obviously it's super cool and right. you get access to all this great outdoor, um, great outdoor recreation. But f as a tool for landowners, I think that's what is really unique about it because the reality is. Most of these ranches don't make money. They don't. They don't cash flow. And right. even even you know pretty successful cattle operations have a hard time, you know, generating any sort of significant cash return. And as land prices continue to go up, and it's harder and harder to generate cash off these properties when um, you know the owner dies and needs to pass the the ranch along to their family. There's this huge tax burden that a lot of people just can't 
can't, you know, float the bill on it. And so then they end up having to subdivide the ranches and sell off parcels. And that's where, you know, the, this kind of the, the segmentation of these properties um, starts and it causes, you know, real big problems from a lot of different perspectives. So the way, what I think is really cool about what y'all are doing is you're giving landowners a tool to generate some cash and generate some income off these properties that otherwise would just be a complete sink um, from uh, an expense sink for their family. Yeah. Is that correct? Yes, that's exactly correct. That was a, a great way to say it. Um, do you guys have any competitors or is there anybody out there who's trying to do what you're doing? No, we, Jay and I spent a lot of time looking and we, we haven't found anything. There are some smaller like ranchettes, I'll call them, uh, on Airbnb. Yeah. Um, but not, nothing like this, nothing, you know, where you're able to access thousands of acres and uh, and have a real wilderness experience, really. So if somebody's listening to this that has a ranch in their family and they would want to partner with you guys and say they're in Montana, would y'all – are y'all open to ranches all over? Because it sounds like you have one in Colorado, correct? Yes, we have one in Colorado. And I actually had a really great conversation uh, with a young lady in California – uh, who is now managing her family's ranch. She's just a year and a half out of college and so passionate about making sure that they find ways to sustain their operation. And, uh, yeah, I'm really excited about potentially getting to work with them. It's, uh, it's a beautiful place. Is there a minimum amount of acreage you, you guys are considering or right now? Are you open to open to anything? Um, we're open. Uh, the smallest ranch that we have right now is the Rocker Bee. Um, I mean, we do, you know, we want, we want people to, to have acreage that they can access because, you know, we want people to be able to have some sort of outdoor experience. So, you know, if it gets too small, it kind of changes what we're offering. Sure. But Rocker B is 320 acres. And then I believe our largest ranch is 15,000. That's a big, big spread. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I'm wrong. Our largest ranch is actually 35,000. That's a lot of land. Yes, it is a lot of land, but we are talking to a ranch that's, um, 270,000 acres. Wow. So stay tuned for that, huh? Stay tuned. That's right. I'm really excited about, uh, hopefully getting to partner with this ranch because it would be quite an experience for people. So I'm I'm always I have a good number of entrepreneurs on this podcast and then I'm just kind of interested in in that entrepreneurial mindset. So when you and Jay and Jess were kind of getting this idea going, what was were there any what was the biggest surprise of trying to take this idea and turn it into a business? Was there were there any crazy experiences or frustrating experiences kind of that that came as a surprise from from when you were just kind of had the idea sketched out on paper? Uh, I don't think we realized just all it was going to encompass. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
um, because the team is so small and, uh, and we don't have, you know, we don't have a bunch of people working for us, uh, to do all the small things that have to be done. Yep. Uh, we, yeah, it's just, it's been a, a learning curve and a growing experience for sure. Uh, but yeah, we just, I just don't think we, I told Jay before he asked me to be, uh, be a partner, I told him he was going to need some help. Yeah. <laughs> I think we got, we got out of a development meeting and I looked at him and I said, you're going to need some help. <laughs> and, uh, and I really meant he needed to get like an intern or something. Oh yeah. And, and so afterward we were talking about something after he asked me to be a partner, uh, I don't remember what we were talking about. And he, he said, well, you're the one who said I was going to need some help. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so we, you know, we started out trying to delegate or this is, you know, these are going to be the things you, you do. You're in, you're going to be in charge of customer experience, but really we just all wear all the hats. Um, whatever needs to be done, someone is handling it. So, yeah, that it's been fun though. We're having a great time, and I get to work with people I really enjoy working with. So, so it's fun. No matter what has to be done, it's we're having a good time. Yeah, I've always thought that it's. All, I think who you work with is almost more important than what you're actually doing. And yeah. two of your two of the three people in this business, I go back with about as far as you can go back, and they're yeah. they're as good guys as they come. And and you you know you just seem like a the three of you just seem like a perfect match. So I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes. What, so what are your plans? Like, where do you see the business going in the next, in the next five years? Uh, global. Global. Yes. (laughs) Like South America. Oh yes. That's what I'm waiting for. Ed. I can't wait until a landowner calls and says they have a ranch in Patagonia or somewhere else in Argentina. I'm ready. Is there anything like this in Europe? Um, there, I don't believe so. And Jay actually spoke with a landowner in Scotland last week, a week before last, uh, who asked if, you know, they were having the same conversation that we have with so many landowners, the difficulty in, in maintaining land and revenue streams. And Jay told him about what we were doing. And he asked if, he thought that uh, if Jay thought that his ranch would fit with our website. And I said, of course, because who doesn't want to visit a beautiful property in Scotland? That's right. I've never so been to Scotland. I haven't been to Scotland either. And uh, I'm excited to go shoot this ranch <laughs> when we get it. All my ancestors are from Scotland and I've had two I've said this on the podcast before, so I apologize for repeating jokes, but it's true and it's hilarious. <laughs> on two separate occasions in Montana, I started talking to ranchers mm-hmm. and I would talk and talk and talk. And they're, the more I talk, the more confused they seem. And then finally they said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you from Scotland? <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> and so I guess my Eastern North Carolina accent still has some Scottish in it from, from the old days, like 400 years ago. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'll, if you need any photography help, even just like iPhone photography, I'll be happy to go over there and, and work with you guys on that. Okay, well, maybe you and your family can come as our models. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Everybody yes. except me would, would work for that. <laughs> um, 
Well, I want to hear so, – so that's – I think that's a great overview of the business, and I could keep asking questions about that all day. But I want to hear more about you specifically because you are somewhat mysterious because of your refusal to participate in social media, which yeah. I think is is actually very, very cool. And I think more people should do that, including myself. <laughs> um, so where did you grow up? I grew up in El Paso in the very farthest tip of West Texas. Yep. Um, you know, some days you maybe are considered Mexican, some days New Mexican, and some days a Texan. Got uh, it. And so had your yeah. family been there for a while? My mom is a third generation El Pasoan. Okay. Second or third. Um, so yes, I, my great grandfather came from St. Louis and, uh, but yeah, so she would be, a second generation and, uh, my father's family is in Houston Okay, and he, uh, I like to say that he went to camp at Prude Ranch that first summer and then got back on the train to go back to Houston and left his heart in West Texas. So <laughs> as soon as he could get out of Houston, he did and went to Sol Ross for college and then went back to Houston for law school and then moved to El Paso. Got it. And so you were there um, as a kid and then you went to camp near your yeah. family's ranch and then where to college? I went, came to Austin for college. so And you've been I, there ever since, right? I, yes. I went back to El Paso for about a year when I think I was like 25. Okay. Um, and But yes, other than, than that little stint, I have really been in Austin for the last 22 years, I guess. Can you believe we're that old? I can't no, believe it. No, it's terrifying, actually. And if you ask me how old I was, I would tell you I was 30 just because... I don't think I could possibly be 40 at this point. I turned 41 the other day, like two weeks ago. And <laughs> Happy belated birthday. Thank you. And that, that seems like a lot older than 40, like, because you're in it now. I'm in it now. Yes, I'm, you are. You are in it. <laughs> so what did you study in school in Austin? Uh, I studied government. Okay. I come from a family of attorneys, and yep. that's what I had intended to do uh, my whole life. And so when did you Never. wake up to the idea that that was not a good idea? Uh, sometime in college, I left and went to Spain and came back and decided I wanted to do apparel design. My mom had had a women's clothing store when I was young. Okay. And uh, so I thought that's what I wanted to do. So I changed my major uh, from liberal arts to natural sciences for about an hour because when I went over and spoke with the dean, they told me that none of my uh, credits were going to count. Oh, wow. Toward my new degree. And I promptly turned around, went back to the Dean of Liberal Arts and asked if I could come back. <laughs> 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 so I finished with a government degree and uh, decided that was okay because, you know, who really uses their degree anyway? I draw supply and demand curves every single day at work, like just over and over. That's all I do because right. econ, you know? No, I, I don't use mine at all. Uh-huh. So I thought it was it's fine. I'll get my degree and then I'll figure out what I'm going to do. And uh, fell into personal training totally by accident. Uh-huh. Uh, I was 
about to move to New York because I wanted to start a line of handbags and I had been working on it for a couple of years, kind of on the side. Yep. Was working in retail to learn the retail end of the business and then decided um, with my boyfriend at the time that if I I was really going to pursue this, I should move to New York. And in the interim, I found uh, a new trainer, a coach, and started working with him. And he told me about the nonprofit that he wanted to start. And I had been uh, teaching a boot camp downtown as well just to earn extra money. Yep. And it just all kind of fell into place and felt like the right thing. Um, Yeah, so I ended up not moving and uh, started training full time. That's great. And so what kind of training do you do? I mean, do you train people for certain events or certain sports, just general fitness, all of the above? All of the above. Yes. That's great. Uh, yeah. So body transformations, you know, people who have significant amounts of weight to lose, uh, had marathoners and triathletes and Jay was my Ironman. Um, yeah. And then, you know, just other people who are trying to get or stay fit. So here's a question for you. And this is yes. veering completely off the American West theme, <laughs> but that's the magic of having my own podcast is I can do whatever I want. Um, so you, you get somebody in there, they're overweight and they want to lose weight. What percentage they need to focus on diet? What percentage do they need to focus on physical exercise? Um, no one ever likes to hear this, but it's like 80% of what you put in your mouth. I agree with you on that. I was just wondering if yeah. I was, if I was wrong, but I think no. that's, that is the case. Yeah, you're totally right. Um, exercise helps and movement helps. And, uh, we believe everyone should get 30 minutes of physical activity a day, whatever it is. Um, because movement is good for your physical health and conditioning, um, but yeah, if you're trying to lose weight, it's really about what you're putting in your mouth. You can out eat any workout. Have you seen the movie Fed Up by Katie yeah. Couric? I have seen it. And I have actually seen my uh, doctor uh, loops it in his office. <laughs> that movie changed my life, like changed my complete perspective on everything. I've had one full strength soft drink like a Coca-Cola since yes. I saw that movie and it was like four years, it was four years ago when I saw yeah. it. And that, it is disgusting bad. what, what sugar, <laughs> how sugar has just infiltrated everything. It really has. Um, did you ever see that it was a TV show that Jamie Oliver did? Uh, I, I remember you know, that show. Know? Yeah. They, the British guy. Yes, and he's a chef. Yep. And he was just, I mean, horrified at the way Americans and American children were eating. Yep. And the amount of sugar. And I just remember seeing like one part of one show or something where I think uh, he filled an entire school bus with sugar. Yep. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy when you think about it. And And the fact what's even more crazy to me is that people don't think about it. Yeah. Well, I didn't think about it. And I was like, here, here's my story on that. I was, I do a lot of running and I was very, I mean, I'm very, very focused on running and mm-hmm. nutrition and all that. And I'd run 
before I saw that documentary, I'd run a hundred mile ultra marathon in the mountains here in Colorado, a hundred miles. Yet I did that race and I still had like a layer of fat around me that I, I just couldn't understand why, I, how I could still have fat on my body when I'm exercising that much. Right. And then in the aftermath of that, I kind of go through like binges of, of exercise. And when I'm done with the race, I don't do anything. Yeah, and you so, sound like your friend Jay Clayton. Yeah, we were, we were talking about that actually, how we're both <laughs> just, it's, I just do nothing. But, but then my <laughs> wife got pregnant. She got gestational diabetes. And so we had to change our diet um, so she could manage that. Right. And while doing zero exercise, like literally no exercise and changed my diet to the gestational diabetes diet, you know, low carb, I lost 15 pounds in three and a half weeks. I believe it. Isn't that crazy? It's actually not crazy. And you probably cut out a ton of foods that were inflammatory to your body. So you think, so that's a big part of it too, huh? The just sugar, obviously bread is an inflammatory. So yeah. So not only does it make you fat, it's causing inflammation, like full body inflammation. So what do you eat? What's the ideal diet? Um, I think the ideal diet is a healthy combination of everything. I mean, minus sugar. Yeah. But I have, um, spent a lot of time the last couple of years studying gut health. Uh Uh-huh. And I think that that's really the key to so much. Yep. Um, and there's not, I mean, they're doing more and more research on it now, but it's, I, from what I gather, been a difficult thing to understand and it's hard to study. But your empathetic and sympathetic nervous system, so your brain and your gut are in constant communication with each other. Yep. And... So when your gut is unhealthy, it really makes all of you unhealthy. Yes. So a combination of, you know, healthy fats and all, all different fruits and vegetables and nuts and proteins, it, they're all important. Everything serves a purpose in maintaining good gut health. I eat sauerkraut every morning for that exact reason. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But then every now and then, for some reason, I drink diet drinks, even though I hate them. I still will drink them. <laughs> and then that you apparently kills. Let it go, Ed. Let I know. It go. I need to. That kills every. That kills all the. Your, it screws up your whole gut. So I'm sitting there. Yeah. So I need to get that <laughs> under control. Your sauerkraut and your diet Coke. Yeah. I don't drink them much, but for some reason, I crave them. And I, but I don't like them. I don't, human beings, or at least... <laughs> Me, I'm crazy. Like, I don't know why I do the stuff. We're all a little crazy. I don't feel badly. So for exercise, thinking about weightlifting, if you had to just, or not even weightlifting, just exercise. If, if you had to prescribe somebody could only do one exercise for the rest of their life, what would you think they should do? Push-ups. Ah, good answer. Thank you. I wasn't thinking that. I was thinking deadlifts. Um, yes and no, because it depends, uh, on weight and, you know, some people are going to say that hurts their back, but compound movements that, you know, incorporate multiple body parts. Yep. So squats, things like that, but pushups, pushups are the best full body exercise and you do enough of them and they become cardio. Um, yeah. So pushups. And one more question about diet. 
I'm sure yeah. people who are listening to this are like, wait a minute, what's going on here? What are- <laughs> it's not a podcast about health and fitness. <laughs> no, it is though. It is because it's mine. Um, <laughs> what do you think about fasting? Um, I actually, are we talking about like long-term fast or intermittent fasting? Both. Okay. Um, I am a fan of intermittent fasting and have probably for the last, um, four months or so been fasting 48 hours a week either like two 24 hour fasts or three 16 hour fasts uh-huh. and a 16 hour fast really just mean that, you know, you don't eat breakfast. Yep. So, and then the 24 just dinner to dinner. Yep. Um, I haven't worked myself all the way up to a straight 48 hour fast. Um, but yeah, I think it's a good thing because it gives your, your, again, back to the gut. It gives your gut a break. I've been doing intermittent fasting or I do it every now, every so often. I've gone through streaks of doing it, uh-huh. but then I did, uh, I did four days of just water and, oh. um, it was so interesting to see, I mean, first of all, how your body reacts and it wasn't that bad. Like yeah. I thought it would, I'd just be panicked, hungry. I really wasn't hungry. I was a little tired and my wife told me I was in a bad mood, but like on, <laughs> on the end of day two and day three, but, uh-huh. but, um, it was more just seeing what a habit eating is. Right. And like, I would just kind of catch myself wandering over to the refrigerator and looking in when, and then kind of snap out of it and realize it, realize that I was doing that. Yeah, and, totally mindless. Yeah. Just mindless looking and And I generally, when I do that, I eat. I eat a lot of almonds or carrots, but it's always like just kind of wandering over there and grabbing something to eat. And so just kind of being able to observe that and how food is such the, it's kind of the framework of your day, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner, and it doesn't really need to be, but, um, I highly suggest people try that. It's, it's crazy. It's a really interesting experience. Yeah. Maybe I'll go out to the withers and do that. (laughs) Yeah. Just do it. That's what I did. I, I just went like one night I decided I was going to do it and I'd eaten like pizza and ice cream. And then I just said, all right. And you're supposed to like ease into it with like real low carb diet. And I just went full out sugar (laughs) carbs and then just cut it (laughs) four days. (laughs) Oh, one, one more question. And then we'll go to my quick questions. Why are you not on social media? Um, it's not like I'm trying to make a statement. It was just that I wasn't interested. Yep. Um, yeah, when everyone, like when Facebook came out and everyone got on Facebook, I just, yeah, wasn't interested. And, you know, my friends, oh, you need to get on Facebook. Uh, even with my business, you need to get on Facebook. And I just, I'm, uh, I guess I'm, I'm not like, I guess I'm a private person. I don't know. I just have never felt the need to showcase my life to anyone. Yep. Um, and I like it, so I'm not really worried about whether or not anyone else does. No, I think it's a good thing. I mean, I think it's become this normal thing that everybody's expected to do, but, you know, don't forget nobody in the world was on it really 10 years ago and the world was probably better off. It was better off than that. Well, And and I think about that a lot. Like, you know, when we were growing up, we didn't, I mean, you didn't have cell phones. You didn't like, we didn't have Facebook or Instagram or any of these things. And 
you know, everything was really about personal relationships. Yes. Um, you had to meet to talk or, you know, I mean, you just didn't have these. And I'm sure and I understand what a great tool it is for marketing and for businesses. And, you know, I, some people really love it, but I feel like it's in a lot of ways created a disconnect and a false sense of community. Yes. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I see the benefits of it for a lot of people, but for me personally, and I, I put it, started an Instagram for the wellness retreat. Um, cause the girls told me I needed to the girls who had, had been on it. And so I put some pictures up there, but you know, I'm the worst at posting. And so now I post stuff about explore ranches. Um, but yeah, for me personally, I just, yeah, wasn't interested. Well, I think when you think about things from think about wellness from a holistic standpoint, I, I really do. I really do think Elite, maybe not complete abstention, but but staying away from social media is one of the best things people could do for overall wellness, yeah. um, for for mental health, for physical health. I mean, you know, if you're not doing that, there's so many better things you could be doing. And I think the thing you said about false sense of community is is 100 percent true. It, that's not real. It um, isn't, and I think it also in in terms of wellness, I think. Um, people have gotten confused about what's real and, you know, there, I'm sure there are lots of people who are putting their real lives up there, but I also refer to Instagram as everyone's perfectly curated life. Oh yeah. And, you know, you, you get to curate your life and you get to let everyone see your life exactly the way you want them to. And life's messy and it's not (laughs) perfect. And so, you know, I just, authenticity is important to me. Yeah. Well, that comes, that comes through in, in this conversation. Um, so I admire it. I I admire, I need to, I need to do more of that because it, it's like the diet Coke. I don't like it, but I keep doing it. <laughs> Golly. Um, all right. So, so some quick questions for you. Um, I always ask everybody on the, this podcast these same questions, and it's, it's really cool to compare all the answers. Do you have any favorite books related to the West? Yes. Uh, it's a one that my dad uh, gave me. I don't know, six months ago, maybe, or no, it was a year ago, I guess now, because I actually sent it down to Ben when they were filming River and the Wall. Um, That's Ben Masters? Yes, Ben Masters. Um, It's called Big Big Bend, A Homesteader's Story, and it's the story of this man, J.O. Langford, who went in the early 1900s down into Big Bend on a health quest, actually, he was sick and the doctors told him he needed to go West, um, into different climates or into a more arid climate and that it would probably help him. And he found this, uh, spot where Torneo Creek, uh, goes into the Rio Grande. Yep. He's into the Rio Grande. 
And he, so he was able to buy this piece of property and convinced his wife who didn't go out there with him in the beginning to come out and they built a home, an Adobe home out there and ended up hosting. This is actually really cool in relation to what we're doing at Explore Ranches, but there were springs on the property that were um, known for their health benefits. Uh Uh-huh. And so they ended up hosting people from all over who would come to visit the springs and um, partake of the health benefits. And uh, yeah, it's it's a great story. It's a short, easy read, but it's um, it's a beautiful story. That's cool, and I don't. I've never heard of that, so I'm always. That's one of the reasons I asked just selfishly because I want these recommendations. That sounds that sounds super cool. Um, do you have a favorite book of all time? It doesn't have to be about the West. Um. Manhunt. Never heard of it, that. It is. It's a great story. It's actually, um, and I, it's written as a novel, but it is the story of the hunt for John Wilkes Booth after um, assassinating Lincoln. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's great. There's another one um, along those lines there that I recently read, and it's called Hellhound on His Trail, and it's about the manhunt for the guy who killed Martin Luther King Jr. And Ooh. it is crazy. It's written by Hampton Sides, who I've had on this podcast twice, but it is so good. And it sounds like those are, those are very similar. So I'll, I'll check yes. that one out. Cause I love, right. I love Hampton Sides check. version. Yes, me too. I'm going to have to check that one. Oh, I forgot to ask this one. Do you have any favorite documentaries or films? And they, they don't have to be about the West, just any. Actually, I'm going to have to say unbranded. Yeah. That's so good. It's so good. And it, so my dad went when I was like a year old, um, on a pack trip, a horse pack trip, um, into the Shoshone. And I had always wanted to go on that trip again with him. Yeah. And so after Unbranded came out, I thought this is going to be the way to get my dad to go on that trip. And, uh, so I had him watch it. And of course, the first thing he said was, man, I could really go on another one of those horse pack trips. And I said, yes, let's do it. (laughs) Um, so we had, we planned to go with Ben two summers ago, um, and Val, uh, but my dad was having some back issues. So we, we didn't end up going. So I'm going to have to go myself in the next couple of summers. Yeah, that's a that is a really really good movie, um, and so th- that's exactly why I'm so excited for River and the Wall because that was kind of Ben's first first shot at movie making, and he he yes. knocked it out of the park. So who's gonna you know, who knows how this next one's gonna be? It's gonna be awesome. Um, what is the most powerful outdoor experience you've ever had? And that could be funny or scary or just a memorable experience. Um, it was probably uh, my eighth grade trip. So the school that I went to in El Paso, we took trips every year as a class. And the eighth grade trip was to uh, Colorado. Okay. It was a backpacking trip. So, I mean, it was like, it was a big deal. In seventh grade, you start going to meetings about this trip and you have to uh, have your pack and everything in it at school at the school before eighth grade even starts, like in the summer you're going and putting this stuff in your backpack. Cause you're an eighth grader carrying like a 40 or 50 pound pack. Yep. Um, and, uh, and so then, so then we, it's at the very beginning of the school year, we go to camp Chile for, uh, 
like four or five days and learned how to read maps and rappel and rock climb and and then they uh, separated us all. We had a, one leader from the camp and one leader from our school, and then four girls and four boys in each group. Yep. And they dumped us off in the middle of the mountains and showed us where we were on the map and then showed us another point and said, we'll pick you up here. And I don't remember what, what it was, four or five days. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, and we had to carry everything, you know, our tents, our food, everything. So, yeah, it was um, definitely a life-changing experience. Yeah, that's great. That's super cool to have an experience like that at that young age. I mean, that really – I'm sure that really directed directed things for you whether you realized it or not. That's pretty cool. Absolutely. Where is your favorite location in the West? Oh, I'm going to have to just go with the withers. That's what I thought you'd say. That place really, yeah, it seems spectacular. And I'll, I, like I said, I'll link to it so people can get an idea of what we're talking about because it looks, it looks really awesome. Well, you'll have to come see for yourself someday. I'd love to. I'll, I will yeah, take you up absolutely. on that because I just – Open invitation. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so last or next to the last question, um, if you could make a request of the people who listen to this podcast and it's – people who love the West in one way or the other, whether through their work, through conservation, through outdoor sports, through art, you know, whatever. Um, if you could offer some words of wisdom or some advice or ask them to do something, what would that be? Uh, get outside. Yep. Get outside. Get your kids outside. Um, I feel like there is a disconnect between us as a society and the natural world. Right now, um, I know you and Jay talked about the book, The Nature Fix. Yep. But there's been like a mass migration into urban areas. It's the first time in history that there are more people living in urban areas than in rural areas. And when we become disconnected from nature and the natural world, it's it's hard, if not impossible, to understand your place in it mm-hmm. and to understand the importance of it in your life. And, yeah, so if you don't spend time in it, you just don't get it. And so that that's my request of people. Get, get outside and get your kids outside. It's actually really important to disconnect from electronics and, you know, the – stress and hustle of everyday life and the fast pace in the city and just slow down for a minute and take time to just appreciate being with each other. I couldn't agree more. Um, I think that's a great way to end it. So how can people connect with Explore Ranches? We know how they can connect with you on social media. They can't. Um, so <laughs> what, what, where, where should people go? Uh, they should go to exploreranches.com. And uh, that's where we are on the web. You can find us on Instagram at Explore Ranches. We're on Facebook at Explore Ranches. And we're happy to take your phone calls, and I will answer the phone. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Keep up the good work. This is so exciting. Thanks, Ed. Thanks for having us. We really appreciate it. Hey, it's Ed again. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast and thanks for listening to that particular episode. I hope you enjoyed it. 
Before you go, I've got three quick things. Number one, if you like the podcast, please do me a huge favor. Either pass it along to a friend who may be interested, share it on your social media, and or go to iTunes and give it a five-star review. All those things would mean a lot to me, and they would really help to spread the word about the podcast. Number two, if you've listened to many of these episodes, you know that I love reading and I love talking about books. Every other month, I send out a quick email with a few books that I've recently read and highly recommend. The subjects are varied, but they're pretty much all nonfiction with an emphasis on history, biographies, adventure narratives, and topics related to the American West. There are no sales pitches for ranches, no spam, no other kind of nonsense, just books. So if you'd like to sign up for the list, head to Mountain and Prairie slash reading, or just go to Mountain and Prairie and there's a massive tab at the top that says book recommendations. Click on it. There are a ton of good books that I've read. Some of the old email lists are on there. Uh, You can go crazy. There are a lot of books. And finally, if you know anyone I should interview for the podcast, please don't hesitate to reach out and let me know. All my contact info is at mountainandprairie.com, and I'm on all the social media stuff, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, blah, blah, blah. So feel free to reach out. I'd love to have some recommendations and suggestions of interesting people I should meet. All right, that's it. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.